0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Greetings to you as always, fellow time travelers. It's lovely to have you with me for this journey through time and space. To help support this podcast, uh, to get access to extras, to exclusive content every week, uh, sign up to my Patreon.com site. It's easy. Go to Patreon.com, look for me by name. You part with some cash, monthly or annually, uh, and join the family. And, you know, it is worth pointing out endlessly that it's the it's the financial support from Patreon that makes this podcast series possible at all. Okay, Advert over, it's now time to strap into the time machine as we set off towards the next stop in my love letter to the world. Recorder, microphone, action. Great innovation and discovery. They're always built on the shoulders of history's giants. Geniuses don't succeed alone. They're part of a long and winding road of invention, intuition and experimentation. It involves countless contributions by countless people across immeasurable time. In 1712, a British inventor powered the steam engine into being in a form we would recognise, pushing the tentacles of the Industrial Revolution around the world and changing the world forever. Hi Neil, last week we were in Europe as dynastic dynamite exploded, plunging the continent into war for the next 12 years. Where are we this week? Hi Paul, yes, uh, the previous episode of the Love Letter was about the plague of war, a curse that's still with us to this day and will always be with us I think. This week we're switching gear though and travelling from death and destruction to invention and innovation. We're travelling to Devon in England as Thomas Newcomen helps kick-start the Industrial Revolution. We are in England with the spark that ignites the Industrial Revolution that changes the world. The Industrial Revolution that changes everything, everywhere, forever. It's a big event, big moment. It's specifically to do with a critical evolution of the steam engine which was achieved by Thomas Newcomen in 1712 Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that all of the love letter makes me think about the interconnectedness of things the interconnectedness of everything I feel that in relation to history all the time, but I think the Industrial Revolution in England in the 18th century, it it, it particularly displays or or makes explicit that interconnectedness. And away from, to some extent, even away from history, I, I often think about interconnectedness. It plays on my mind. I'm one of those unfortunate souls that is fascinated by maths and physics without properly being able to understand them. I, I struggle with maths. Uh, I struggle with the very even the word equation uh, you know makes sweat prick on my <laughs> on my skin <laughs> with anxiety that has hung around me since my school days. But I, I, at the same time I'm torn, you know I'm both attracted and repelled by by what maths means. Uh, And I think about how characters as disparate as Albert Einstein and Lao Tzu, the old master, in China 4,000 years ago, each expressed interconnectedness in their own time and in their own way. Albert Einstein, amongst much else, he said, ''A human being is part of the whole called-by-us universe.'' apart, limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feeling as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. I, now there's a, a physicist of the of the 20th century, Lao Tzu, in, in the China of 4,000 years ago, said something about, uh, There is a thing inherent and natural that existed before heaven and earth. Motionless and fathomless, it stands alone and never changes. It pervades everywhere, yet never becomes exhausted. It may be regarded as the mother of the universe. I don't know its name. I call it Tao, which is the way. And I name it as supreme. And obviously you listen to that and you think about the force in the Star Wars films. This idea of something, you know, surrounding us and binding us. As Yoda tells Luke Skywalker at one point in the, I think it's in the second film. Anyway, that, that, um, that interconnectedness fascinates me. And it is a big part of why history attracts me in the way that it does. So, I mean, even I mean, John Muir is a is a character that we've um, that we've talked about in the love letter already, I and mean, he, he keeps cropping up for me. And he's got a quote as well: "When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe." I, anyone who comes at the universe from whatever direction historian, physicist, naturalist, whatever the best of them at some point seem to draw this. N- understanding this appreciation of interconnectedness. And so it's that way with history. You know, every moment, like everything, is connected to every other moment by chains that pull and rods that push, as though reality or the universe was a great big complicated machine. And every bit of it that moves, every cog that turns, every rod that pushes, it moves everything else. It's all one. And that interconnectedness is laid bare by the Industrial Revolution. Most historians, if they're interested in the Industrial Revolution, they have it start in the early 18th century with Thomas Newcomen's steam engine. I remember hearing about it at school, having to do a wee drawing of something to do with Newcomen's steam engine, being a jotter somewhere in my mother's house. And of course, once the fire of the Industrial Revolution was lit, it spread around the world. it happened real quick. Millennia of of curiosity and experimentation and observation and innovation by by people in a long connected line disappearing off beyond the reach of memory. It finally reached a tipping point. All of it in the 18th century. It just, the moment came and it, 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 it facilitated and enabled everything else that happened. Newcomen's adventure with steam or, or, or his achievement of what became his steam engine is dated to 1712 but the crucial thing is in terms of that interconnectedness that idea of standing on the shoulders of giants, in reality was just a part of a long story he was a significant part but he wouldn't, have been, he wouldn't have been able to do and wouldn't have done what he did had it not been for the observation, innovation and experimentation by other people and because, he, because he was able in the latter part of the 1600s into the early 1700s he was able to draw upon the fact that it had already been established that you could light a fire under a container of water and the water would eventually boil and you'd get steam you could transform liquid water into another state of being which is a gas which is steam and it was different and it did things differently than the water did and he was also able to work from an established principle that you could direct the steam that you'd made into a cylinder via a valve a wee hole you could fill a space with steam right that that as a principle was already there and furthermore rather than the cylinder being some like sealed like a tin can it could be open at one end and you could have a you could have a piston machined carefully so that it fit inside the cylinder almost exactly it, you know it, it, almost perfectly to the nanometer filling the space right but, but able to slide in the space and you could push steam into that situation and it would push this it would push the cylinder up right you could then inject cold spray of cold water that would immediately make the steam condense back to a little puddle of water creating a partial vacuum that would pull the piston back down now if you repeated that over and over again steam in, piston up water in, piston down you've got a repeating action like a heartbeat right? but what he did that was significant that, that mattered in the long term was he realised that he could exploit this expansion and contraction of water into steam and back to water again you could use it to push and pull on a piston and that might let you operate a pump. And if you've got a pump, you can move water. And if you're in the business of mining, if you're underground where your chambers and shafts keep on filling up with water, that's the ever-present problem challenge. You've got to get the water out of the way, otherwise the men will drown. So you need pumps to get the water from somewhere it's not wanted to somewhere else where it doesn't matter, this was facilitated by Newcomen's steam engine in a way that had hitherto not been possible. And it was—it was all about simple things, really. He just joined them together. Other things that other people had established and understood long ago, he exploited the connections he, of the of the. Profoundly basic concept of big followed by small. Big followed by small has consequences. So now you've got the means to move water on a massive scale. If you've got that system going, you can move gallons of water, hundreds of gallons of water a day and get them out the way. Now, Newcomer, who was he? He was a blacksmith by trade, so he was used to working with metals and making it's metal objects and items, but he wasn't operating alone. You know, and this is this is also a, often a theme of the story of the world. It's, it's quite often the necessity for people to come into contact with somebody else who's interested in the same thing for their own reasons. Since 1698, Thomas Newcomen had been in partnership. He wasn't working alone. He was with a fellow Devonian, another man from Devon called Thomas Savary who was a military engineer by training somebody else that knew how things work in 1696 two years before the two men met Thomas Savory had patented a way of uh, moving a boat with the paddle wheel paddle wheels right he, he, he patented that the two men came into contact with one another and by the time they met actually Thomas Savory actually had a pump of his own he had already developed a more rudimentary version of of a pump powered by steam. So these two characters by chance happen to be within each other's vicinities and they meet. Newcomen's finessing though of the idea, you know, that the details that he was able to bring to it significantly advanced the principle of the steam-powered pump. But in terms of contemplating interconnectedness and how we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Ancient Greece, okay, ancient Greece, a man called Hero of Alexandria had developed a contraption I don't know how else really to describe it, called an alopile alopile, which was a spinning globe like a globe that you have people used to have on their desk you know, that could spin because it's held by a couple of pins in a a semi-circular frame. Well, Hero's globe spun because he he was introducing steam into it and the steam was leaving the the inside of the globe via two little holes, two little jets, if you like. And that action made it spin, right? So he wasn't doing anything with it beyond the fact that he had created something that would appear to move under its own steam, so to speak. That was way back in the 1st century AD. OK, so 1,700 years before Newcomen and Savory were messing about with the same principles. But Hero wasn't first. Back in the 1st century BC, there was a Roman called Vitruvius who, who developed basically the same thing, a spinning ball, Powered by the introduction of and the controlled exiting of steam, Vitruvius is a fascinating figure in many, many ways. Vitruvius wrote about architectural principles, I suppose. He intuited, he appreciated that 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 structures were best and appealed, let's say to to the human eye, if they were designed in relation to specific proportions. Like you can just you can just build you know doorway of a random height inside a room of a random volume windows, it all works best if everything is in proportion to everything else. And Vitruvius it was who paid attention to the architecture of the human body. He appreciated the proportions were not random. If a man has his arms outspread like that, or a person has their arms outspread, it's the height. That distance there is also the height. The distance between your chin and your forehead is a measurable proportion of your height was, and that uh, that principle by Vitruvius then was latched on to this is really just by the by was latched onto by Leonardo da Vinci, and that most famous of illustrations by da Vinci the Vitruvian man you know that you know that figure you 've seen where his arms are out, and then there 's also. His arms in a slightly different position and his legs together and his legs slightly apart. Well, that was because Leonardo da Vinci finessed, stood on the shoulders of Vitruvius. He actually improved upon Vitruvius's idea, but Vitruvius had the idea first. But it was Leonardo da Vinci who worked out that a human adult in that position, you could draw a circle around them and it would touch their outstretched arms. And their feet, and that you could also put them inside a square. And look it up, look up Vitruvian man. So again, okay, everything's connected. All of these, n- n- nobody's coming up with anything that no one else has thought of before. It's all an interconnected process, which is really what makes it all so fascinating. Because you, you can't, you cannot, like John Muir said, you know, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe, and so it is. So that story that eventually becomes Newcomen's steam engine has antecedents that go all the way back to before the birth of Christ. And Vitruvius wouldn't have been the first guy either. That idea of the Industrial Revolution that that changes the world, it doesn't come from nowhere. It's not a spontaneous event. You know, it's not like the Big Bang Theory, you know, where the universe sparks into being apparently out of nowhere and nothing, which is a concept I find very difficult to grasp, that everything came from nothing. I find that very, very difficult. But that idea that we're all interconnected, it's a good way to think about it in terms of the Industrial Revolution, what came before and what comes immediately after. So, let's say the Industrial Revolution doesn't start with Newcomen. It certainly doesn't start with him. To say it starts in England or in Britain is to misunderstand the nature of the story. Actually, it's truer to say that Newcomen he didn't start the industrial Revolution, he, he was actually handicapped, handicapped by it not having started yet. He was a cold starting something in a way. The ingredients were there, prepared by others. But when it came to cooking them up, you know, it, it, it had to come from a, to some extent, a standing start. For instance, there were no mass produced parts. If you wanted to build a cylinder and a piston and rods and whatever to work it, you could buy the bits, already made, and assemble them. There's no such thing. The mass production of materials is a product of the Industrial Revolution. You know, factories churning things out in uniform size, always the same. So, Newcomen had to commission things by craftsmen. You know, he had to get a thing made from scratch, a one-off, and have someone fit a piston minutely, carefully, inside the cylinder. It was incredibly slow and painstaking. There were no railways to move things about. His fuel was coal. He was using coal to boil his water to make his steam. You well, couldn't get coal delivered, not in any reliable fashion, so he had to build these workshop beside a coal mine (laughs) so that he could get access to the coal. And when it came to conferring, you know, when it came to wanting to be in touch with other people, letters were moved by horse or by people walking, which meant that communication of ideas was cumbersome. Send a letter out, wait a fortnight, get a letter back. So the whole thing is slow. But the point is, in terms of all of that interconnectedness, the, the Industrial Revolution was made of parts. It was assembled bit by bit. Uh, and it was all stages on a long, winding road with countless contributions by countless people in all manner of places over not just centuries, but over millennia. You know, The story of Steam and Newcomb and Steam Engine is a story of connections. And it illustrates the interconnectedness of the human experience. You know, everything and everyone is connected to everything and to everyone else. But if if, if you were using the analogy of steam, the heat, the heat of all this, is provided by human observation, human intuition and inspiration and invention. That has been the unifying feature for thousands of years It's all a long story in many stages. It's been a long and winding road, but the energy is human observation, invention and determination. Religious zealotry leads to a fatal weakening of the Mughal Empire in India. Rival independent kingdoms rise up and internecine struggles break out between them. As one empire is fractured and defeated, another flexes its muscles and takes its place. The British Raj is born. Next time in my love letter to the world... To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment vodcasts every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. It'd be great to see you there. Check out the Instagram account called Neil Oliver Love Letter. My YouTube channel simply called the Neil Oliver Channel. uh, It's uh, steaming along at 206,000 subscribers the last time I looked, but let's get it to a million. The more the merrier. And we have recently, Paul and I, launched some merchandise. So go and have a look in the shop. To help build this podcast, tell your friends about it. Get them listening and write a review to convince the online crowd to join us where they belong. For further reading about these moments in time, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the World in 100 Moments and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Catnip Inc. Music is composed by Milo McKinnon. Social media and YouTube producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucien, Archie and Teddy. The finance is taken care of by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Squared Studios and the graphics are by Paul Plowman. Thanks for listening. This has been a Catnip Inc. podcast production.